Welcome to Power to Speak, the podcast. I'm Jackie Goddard, and it's my mission to help people market themselves effectively and show up powerfully for their audience by using their voice and their story to share their message and ideas. Not only does the podcast allow me to talk to interesting, inspiring and successful individuals, but it gives me and you, dear listener, the opportunity to learn from the best. Whether business or thought leader, entrepreneur or author, what's been their journey and how have they used their voice and their story to create that success? We are all in the persuasion business, or so my guest Andrew Thorpe tells me. Andrew is a speaker, trainer and storyteller. He shows businesses how to use stories to be persuasive. He also calls himself the multi-story man due to his own endless library of stories. There are so many similarities between what Andrew and I do, and so this felt more like a conversation than an interview. But we did manage to touch on his golfing career, excruciating experience as a quiz show contestant, and a misunderstanding he had with a dragon. Enjoy. Welcome to Power to Speak the Podcast with my glorious guest today, uh, Andrew Thorpe. And Andrew is a speaker and trainer in the applied storytelling arena. So it's around communication. You've called yourself the verbal PR, Andrew, and also, and I'm going to get you to explain this, the multi-story man. So explain a little bit about about what that means to you and, and what that should mean to us. Okay, well, thank you, Jackie. It's great to be on the show. Um, yes, I call it I call it applied storytelling because it's storytelling not necessarily for entertainment purposes or for you know for putting children off to sleep at night. It's it's storytelling where somebody in the business world has to get their message across, has to connect with their audience, has to be persuasive, has to be understood, and hopefully liked as well because this is the key to being persuasive so it's uh, in a way it's in the field of sales training it's a very soft form of sales training in a way and soft persuasion and I also describe myself sometimes as the multi-story man because I seem to have a library of them and people are always telling me how on earth do you remember all of these things and you know my kids will tell me I forget all sorts of things at my advanced years but I seem to have this recall of little episodes in life and either things that I've experienced or I've seen in others. And then I'm able to weave those into, um, you know, conversations such as this or um, and then indeed to help other people do that, to accumulate a library of material that they can use in things like a job interview or a pitch uh, or to come across better on a podcast interview. So that yeah. that's kind of where it comes from. Yeah. I mean, and obviously I'm, you know, I'm in a, in, a, in a similar arena, so I kind of understand what that is. But for those of people that are listening that don't understand the use of stories, apart from maybe sitting around a dinner table and recounting mm. something that's happened, what is the benefit of, uh, of storing up a library of mm. stories? Well, I think let, let's define what I mean by storytelling. First of all, it, it, it's storytelling for most people is, is telling an anecdote. That's what they associate it with, you know, over dinner or um, or perhaps a bedtime story. Um, and that's a very narrow interpretation of the word. I mean, you know, from the acting world that, that storytelling can apply to, say, a whole movie or a play. It's a great piece of storytelling. So that doesn't mean it's an anecdote. It means the way the thing flows and, and has sort of a journey that the audience is taken on. So I, I think of it more in terms of framing a message. It's very much about message framing. How do you put a pitch or an idea across so that the audience gets it, understands it, warms to it, and then warms to you at the same time? So it's advantageous in those situations where you have to be persuasive, where you have to educate the audience so that they understand what, what you're trying to say. Um, but it's also useful in a more anecdotal sense where you're maybe trying to find common ground with people. Um, and we've all come across this thing where someone tells us something that's happened to them. And then our inclination is to say, well, yeah, the same thing happened to me the other week. And then hopefully you find common ground, although that has to be done sensitively because there is that thing called um, conversational theft, where suddenly it's about you, when, <laughs> whereas it started being about them. So it's, it's, it's applied really in a mixture of either staged situations. So you're given a platform to pitch 
or in more conversational situations. I could sometimes call those an SSS, a spontaneous speaking situation, where you're having to draw upon maybe that library of experiences to, for example, find common ground with people. Yeah, people people quite often, especially, you know, in, in say networking or going into a room cold where they're, they're faced with with people that they, they kind of know that they have to communicate with in order to uh, further themselves, further their business, put themselves in, a, in, a, in you know, put, show themselves in a good light. Mm. And people freeze. They kind of have this fear of sharing. So how, how would you think that that uh, using stories can get people over that fear of walking into a, a room full mm. of strangers? Well, I, I'll use an example based on that very scenario that you described, walking into a room full of strangers at, say, a networking event. And um, I remember seeing um, a picture from uh, a client of mine, actually, who hosted an event at a cinema complex in Manchester. It's called Home, H-O-M-E. Um, and it's one of the newer cinema complexes. And they, they run networking events because they, they hold events in the theatres, but also in the, you know, the sort of like a big breakout bar area. Um, and it struck me that there was a scenario I, I could envisage where someone, you know, uh, is approached maybe by somebody else. And rather than saying something like, well, what do you do? You could say, well, you know, the last time I was here, I was on a date. And then they may say, well, how did it go? Um, and then you might say, well, we're married now. So quite well, actually. Um, or not very well, because I went to a horror film and that wasn't her thing. And that we never spoke after that. So it, it's just a way of, of hooking on to something in the environment, which is, you know, something in your back catalogue of experiences that maybe gets that interaction going yeah. rather than that very cold, you know, or what do you do, which puts people under pressure generally. Yeah. So, so what is the answer then to that question? <laughs> because it's something I am terrible at, and I, you know, it, it, even you know, with my own acting background, as you say, and and knowing exactly what it is that we're talking about here, mm. there is still that kind of uh, that feeling that you need an elevator pitch. And can you then, in that elevator elevator pitch of of you know, the answer to the question, what do you do for a living? Mm. Can you weave a story into that? How, how do you use the elevator pitch and a story to kind of help in that situation? Well, well, you can, um, because I and again, I'll use a story to illustrate this. I, I met somebody um, at a networking event about three or four years ago, and, and I actually asked her that question, you know, about what she did. Um, and she said, um, well, I, I provide zero accounting advice. <laughs> and I said, well, that doesn't sound very generous. And she and she didn't mean that. She meant zero the accounting software package, which is with a with an X. And she didn't really know what I meant at first when I said that doesn't sound very generous. And then she realized that, you know, the, the, the light bulb went on. She, oh, I see what you mean. Oh, that that didn't sound right, did it? Um, and it broke the ice and then we got on quite well. But she's actually used that story a number of times when she's asked to introduce herself. So yeah. she will start by saying, well, somebody asked me that question about three years ago and I said this. So yeah. she's actually using an anecdote as a way of getting into what it is she actually does. Yeah, perfect. Well, yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, so tell us a little bit about how, how you got to this this point and where where did your your speaking training, mm. storytelling, you know, where did, where did it all start for mm. you? Well, I mean, obviously through the golf industry, Jackie. Oh, well, of course, the I mean, how, how else would it happen? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, so it, it was. Golf. <laughs> it, I, I didn't make that up. I mean, I, I spent 22 years working in the golf and leisure industry in the UK because my brother's a pro golfer. He's, he's 10 years my senior. And um, I worked for a long time in the industry as a, as a referee um, in, in, um, uh, for, for the Professional Golf Association. Um, as uh, a journalist, as a, a coach of, of golfers. Um, and so for years and years and years, that, that was my field. And then I decided that I was going to change direction. I, I won't go into the details of why, but it was a bit of a life-changing experience that led me to consider uh, a change. Uh, so I thought, well, what, what, did I, what did I like doing in the golf industry that I'd like to do more of now? And, and the answer was public speaking, um, because I, I've always loved 
um, you know, speaking with an audience and working with an audience. So I, I sort of set out to do that initially um, and then realized that it was very difficult at the beginning to make a living doing that. So, you, you know, you, you find another way. And for me, that was to help people with their presenting skills. And then it struck me in, in that work that what they were saying when they were presenting wasn't as interesting as it could be. In other words, they weren't doing justice to their message, to the, they didn't have a story to tell. So that's really how it came about through a process of reinvention and, and moving out of one industry to another, but finding that that crossover between the two. Yeah, I know. I'm, so, so you wanted to kind of become a speaker. Is that so you wanted to get on stage and, and share your story? Yes, I, I'm a frustrated actor, Jackie. I'm so jealous yeah. of you having having done that for so many years. So I. I, I, I kind of had to find a way of showing off in front of an audience and, and getting paid for it. And I couldn't do that as an actor because no one would probably hire me to do that. So I, I found another niche um, which enabled me to, to work with an audience. And I have to say, I mean, I still enjoy doing that, but I actually get more of a buzz now uh, of seeing other people that I've been coaching, you know, come to life a little bit and find their voice and their confidence, which again, I think it is crossing over into your world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, from, from, from what I've learned and from the people I've spoken to and from what I've been doing over the years is that, that quite often frustrated actors do kind of find their way into some form of education. Yeah. Because it is an excuse to stand up in front of an audience and, you know, share your ideas, but it's also what you get back you know what mm. you get back from that audience um mm. and i i think that that for me certainly is what, what i love about mm. what i do i think the the audience is always educating you yes um and i think that's one been one of the trickier things of the pandemic period of of dealing with a, an on-screen audience rather than a live one because that feedback is limited um, and we rely so much on working with the vibe and the energy in the room. It's a, it's, it's a very different experience when you're trying to connect with pixels on a screen. Yeah. So how have you found that? I mean, how, how was lockdown for you in terms of, uh, of speaking work? Um, it sort of fell off a cliff for a while. There was very little that happened for a while after March last year when uh, Boris made his announcement. Um, but it's gradually come back. So all of the the gigs that I was doing face to face have more or less been replaced with with online versions. Um, and obviously there's there's it's very simple by comparison with not having to travel places. Um, but it's also limiting in in the way that I've just mentioned. Um, so it, it's, it's from a financial point of view, it's worked out okay. You know, there has been a, a transfer of, of of business from one medium to another. But I do miss the face-to-face -face stuff. I'm actually doing my first face-to-face -face, uh, speech um, in Durham in the northeast of England on um, next week. Wow. So uh, I hope I can still do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> so how do, how do you prepare then for for uh, for the speak, the speaking roles that you do? What's what's your kind of um, routine in the mm. lead up to actually doing a talk? Maybe right from from putting a talk together. How do you start? Where do you start? Well, it, it always starts with the the organiser telling you what they're looking for and who the audience is. Uh, and they're not always terribly good at doing that. You have to tease that out of them. Um, in some cases, they don't really know who the audience is going to be because it's a public event and they have they have a sense of who they might be. But it's uh, it's partly guesswork on their part. So I think you're trying to find an angle that they're attracted by. And they're often attracted by the word storytelling. But again, you've got to drill down and, and, and explore well, what is it you actually want within that genre? You know, is it to entertain? Is it to educate? Is it to connect? Is it to help people sell and persuade? So then I've got my my sort of standard material, or my theories and models and, you know, examples and case studies and so forth and stories that are in the bag. And then you've just got to use the right ones for that particular client in that situation that you think will work and develop a sort of a sequence and a flow for that. But then again, you've got the un you've got the variable of how engaged will the audience be? You know, will it be a smaller audience and be a little bit more workshoppy and back and forth, in which case there's less presentable material that you'll have time to give because that they're eating time with those conversations which is is very valuable 
So in, in a way, I, I've got to be flexible a little bit about, you know, having some material that I'm planning to use that might be, you know, dropped or, or, or um, you know, cast over because the, the valuable bit to my mind is when you get a two way with the audience. Yeah. So tell me how, how the TED Talk came about for you, because you've done a couple, haven't you, of the TED I've done three. I, I did one in 2010, which was at Warwick University, um, which was an interesting experience. I'll expand on that in a second. I think there was one in 2015 and then another one in 2018. Um, that was in Cheshire. The, the middle one was in Manchester. But the first one was most memorable, I think, because it was at Warwick University. It was a student organized event. And um, I'd actually done some volunteer mentoring and coaching for a lady who turned out to then run the TEDx event in, in Warwick. So she said, well, would you consider doing a talk for us in uh, at the university that she was organizing? So that's how it happened. But when I look back at it, Jackie, I don't really like watching that talk because I was pretty early on in, in my speaking career. I didn't think it was terribly good in hindsight. And I hadn't really figured out my message. It was a little bit sort of stitched together and uh, not quite a, a coherent narrative as I look back at it now. I also paced up and down like a nervous tiger. Um, and, and I look at it and I think, oh, for God's sake, just stand still, will you? I'm, I'm moving up into the cameras, having to move back and forth all the time. And I also remember that um, a very famous person actually was on after me. Uh, it's uh, Sir Robin Penrose. Um, I think it's Robin Penrose, who worked with Stephen Hawking. He's one of the world's leading uh, theoretical or mathematical physicists. Um, and he's actually in the film. Um, of, of Stephen Hawking that Eddie Redmayne starred in and I mean the character is in the film and he had two overhead projectors when he did his talk can you imagine that Jackie OHPs with with hand-drawn acetates wow. so he was, a, he was able oh, to use this wonderful fray because he was talking about the Higgs boson particle the start of the universe all those sorts of things um, and he used this wonderful phrase, he said, I'll just move the universe over here for a minute as he's transferring acetate from one OHP to another. And the other thing I remember is that his, his microphone, his lapel mic, was rubbing against his jacket, his lapel. And there was this horrible noise in the audience. And because the students were rather in awe of, of the great man himself, nobody had the nerve to tell him and stop him mid-flow that his microphone was making this awful noise until it got so bad that they had to do it. They had no choice but to stop him. So I, I look back with with fondness at that because it was the first of three, but it's uh, I, I think that the, the three have got better. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess the viewers will be the judge of that if they see them. So did you have any training yourself? Did you have any, not necessarily acting training, but, but speaking and how you need to breathe move don't move anything like that no not not formally but i'm i'm one of these people who who learns i guess by osmosis just by trying things and doing things but also through emulation and when i when i learned to play golf as a, as a youngster and i think this will be commonplace amongst lots of sporting people they will find somebody they admire and they almost copy their swing or try and be that person and it might be the same in acting. You know, I want to be like that person or that person. So you tend to pick up um, little traits and habits and routines that they do and incorporate them into your style. So I did that with speaking. And um, so I used to watch loads of TED Talks when I was introduced to them and thought, well, I'd love to speak like Sir Ken Robinson or oh, yeah. be a great storyteller like he is or, or Brené Brown. So the, these were very influential people in my speaking career. Uh, but then, of course, yeah. you've got to find your own voice. You've got to find your own style and your own material. But I, it's it's certainly been influenced by people like that. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice, actually. You know, it, it, lots of times when I'm working with people on building their confidence um, around speaking is I will say to them, who who is it that you admire? Uh, then, you know, go and watch what they do. Go and see how they do it. Or walk, mm, yeah. walk around the room and feel like you are them. You know, yeah. just take on that status, take on what, what that is. So I think that's really good advice. But I, exactly as you say, you then need to find your own voice. You need to mm. find, you know, your own authenticity and your own story to tell. 
Yes. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's it's great to sort of emulate. And Ken Robinson is my absolute hero. Mm. I mean, I, I watched that uh, Do Schools Kill Creativity talk mm. that he did and laughed. And I never expect, you know, you don't expect to end up with tears rolling down your face watching a TED talk. But yeah, his storytelling and the way that he, st- he tells stories. I sent that to so many people. I shared that link with everybody I knew because I just thought... The message was amazing anyway, mm. Mm. Uh, but just the way he the way he did that was was also incredible. and a great. I mean, I, like you, I admire him and I admired. It's very sad that he's no longer with us, but he yeah. he was such a hero of mine, and I loved his use of light and shade. You know, the way that he weaves in a very serious, profound message through yeah. humor. Yeah, yeah, and through those those um, those anecdotes, through those stories. But the, my favourite one in that one is when he's talking about the little girl in the art class in the classroom and the teacher walks up and says, what What are you drawing? And the girl said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God, miss. And she said, well, it's interesting. We don't really know what God looks like, do we? And she said, well, you will in a minute. Yeah. Which I thought was so wonderful. <laughs> a wonderful yeah. line. But then he goes on to make a point, doesn't he? He said, yeah. of course, children will take a chance. They're not afraid of failure and, you know, the education system sort of uh, vilifies mistakes it stigmatizes errors because you know you're, you're looking for all correct answers yeah so i think it's there's a lot of value in his point that you know the education system doesn't encourage creativity and 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 risk taking in a way absolutely yeah and i did you know the podcast that i did before my power to speak uh one in my attica's arts in in incantation no, not incantation i can't remember what the word is Incarnation. Incarnation. Um, yeah. Incarnation um, was really all about creativity. And I love talking about creativity in business because people mm. assume that if to be creative, you, you know, you need to be able to paint or draw or play a musical instrument. But no, creativity is about problem solving, about mm. risk taking, about all of those things. You know, yeah. so about using using our brains. Well, it, it, it is. And it, I also saw a wonderful quote a while ago. I can't remember who it's attributed to, but it was something along the lines of before you can learn how to paint, you've got to learn how to see. Absolutely. Which I thought yeah. was wonderful. Yeah. You know, it isn't just about techniques to do something. You've got to sort of feel it and connect with it on a on an emotional or almost like a spiritual level before yes. you can then start to produce something. Yeah. You, you, you know, you I used to uh, curate art exhibitions for our local art centre when I worked there and I had a young girl came in and she was only about 17 18 she came in with her mum and they brought in some abstract stuff that she'd been doing and you know her mum was so proud of her and yes the pictures were very pretty but there was no life behind them there was no intention behind them Mm. no motivation behind them and I just had to say to her they're lovely but you but there's no feeling in there there's no you know you need to you need to go away even just for a year and live some life <laughs> and, mm, and yeah. look around you and observe and uh, absorb that and then mm. paint, paint from from there so it yeah. is absolutely that but it's you know it's people mistake creativity for for you know for, for something very narrow when actually mm. it's something that's that's within all of us mm. But again, this this comes back to this point about, you know, is it surface based or is it deeper on the inside? And, you know, a classic situation with with interpersonal skills would be listening skills when someone's been on a listening skills course and they'll say to me, well, Andrew, I I, I nodded a few times and I went, mm, and, uh, I raised an eyebrow. I went, oh, that's interesting. At least three times. Does that mean I'm a good listener? And you say, well, that's not kind of where we're coming from with this. You know, w- were you really interested in them? <laughs> you know, yeah, what, yeah. what was your intent in, in, in that situation? Yeah. Were you, was your intent to try and really understand them deep down? Yeah. Or were you just simply going through the tick checklist of doing this and this? Yeah. And that does that, that brings me to a point that I was going to uh, bring up with you with something that I heard you say, and I think it must have been in with, whether it was in the TED talk or one of the other videos I watched, um, was about in order to be interesting, mm. you need to be interested. Mm. And I think that's a that's a very important point is that uh, if you can give other people the time to actually listen to what it is that they're saying, then you will become interesting 
because you are taking that time and, and yes. people people like uh, to feel validated by the fact that somebody else is listening to them mm. they, they do it it's it feeds their ego it makes them feel better about themselves they feel of more value and all, all, and, and you're getting a lot of useful intel from them as well it's the basis of consultative selling in a way is to do more um questioning and listening rather than speaking and o yeah. opining um, yeah. and i love this phrase you know do, do you listen with the intent to understand or do you listen with the intent to reply and i think a lot of people are just waiting to say something that they've already formed in their head as a a nugget of wisdom uh, and I'm not saying that I'm immune to that. I think we all do that because, you know, our, our minds are racing ahead compared to what's coming in. Yeah. Yeah. I do an exercise in my drama classes uh, that I love to do with adults and children. It doesn't matter who you do it with. But you get uh, two people to kind of walk around a room arm in arm and pretend that they are one person. And they get to tell a story as they walk around. Nobody else is listening. You know, they, I do this in a group. So they're all doing it at the same time. So they're, they're really intent on what it is that they are doing in, the, in their pair. But they only get one word each. So they're walking through a jungle and describe what you see before you. But you've literally got one word each. So mm. I am walking through a jungle. I can. And it's incredible how hard people find that. Yes. Because they are jumping ahead. Yes. Because they want to put words in the other person's mouth. That's right. That's and it right. just takes so much discipline and so mm. much focus to just go with it. You know, mm. just mm. say that, say, just tell that story, mm. you know, see that. Because obviously people are seeing different things in their own imaginations. Yes. Yes. But to to uh, to not jump ahead. Yes. To not block yourself by trying to be funny or mm. or witty or interesting. It's yes. just listen and reply. You know, yes. just take that time. And that's something that really comes from my acting background that I now use with businesses mm. and I think it's you know that we were talking before the recording started about head versus heart yes, and yes. how you would you were working with uh, in in corporate environments with people and leaders that that kind of you know think from the head rather than the heart mm. Explain a little bit more about that well an, an example would be if you wanted to boost um you know levels of of employee engagement to make them feel more connected and loyal to the company um, you, you might send them um, a, a gift at Easter or, or, or Christmas time and, and, and think, you know, the job is done. But then it might not work because there's no personalization of, of the gift. So I think if you can think about what's important to that person, that you remember something they, they told you, you know, three or four years ago about a, an ambition that they had or a bottle of wine they'd always wanted to try or, um, you know, a show they've always wanted to, to go to or a place to visit and you arrange it for them. My goodness me, the impact that that has will will vastly outweigh anything that you've done with that blanket gesture. Uh, but you, you've got to get to understand people. You've got to want to know them more deeply than just simply on a surface level of what they're doing, you know, technically within the business. So do you do you find then that um, that business owners and leaders are so I just wonder, because obviously these, you know, these are the people that I also work with. And it, and it's sometimes difficult to explain that, you know, what we do is not just a soft skill. Mm. You know, it's an essential skill. But mm. I do wonder whether these leaders uh, kind of look on it as frivolous not not really needed we don't have time to pander to our employees in that mm, way mm. have you come across that well that very often yes and i'm sure you and i cross over in that regard and and isn't soft skills a horrible term the the implication being that it's soft and squidgy and maybe less less important less tangible than the than good old hard technical skills with a certificate at the end of it um, but I find that a lot, of, a lot of my clients come from a technical background. They've grown up in, in a profession. They've had to learn a lot of technical knowledge. That's their grounding professionally. And then they move into managing a team and then they move into running a company and being a leader. Um, and some of them make that transition very effectively from being just a technician to, to, to being an understander and a motivator of people. But many of them don't make that transition. You know, they're still stuck in the ways of logic and, well, if I do this, that should happen. 
because there's obviously a link between the two things. So I'll tick that box, press that button. That will be the outcome. And life doesn't really work that way. Relationships are very messy uh, and complex and nuanced. Um, so they, so if they do make that transition, they have to sort of begin to understand a little bit more about human psychology and behavior and emotion and people. And that's where I think your world is so fascinating. I've always been a huge fan of, of the movies. I think, I think that film or any form of drama is a wonderful way of understanding the human condition and, and, and those deeper drivers of behavior uh, and relationship building. So you know, I, I think that you and I definitely are on the same page with that. But people who've come from a different background of a technical profession, you know, they've almost got to unlearn what they what they were judged by initially and then learn a whole new suite of skills. Yeah. And again, that goes back to, you know, acting exercises where you kind of have to shed yourself almost, shed everything that you've learned in order to mm. be able to take on another character. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, it is difficult. It's, it, it's not easy because we end, I think we, and it, it probably goes back to Ken Robinson again, is that when we get to that sort of secondary education, we, we forget how to play we go through secondary school having to tick all those boxes, pass those exams. Uh, by the time we come out the other end, we are so worried about doing what we think we should do mm. that we kind of block ourselves from yeah. actually doing all of these things. Yeah. And so yes. it's very difficult when you get into specifically the corporate world. And I, I have to admit, I don't really know much. I've never worked in a corporate environment um, so I, I'm I'm kind of a little bit alien to that, but it it seems to me that you know there's a uniform, there's a language, there's all of these things that people think they should do mm, mm, and they should mm. be like that. Actually, people forget how to be playful, how to actually enjoy their work, and mm, how to mm. enjoy relationships with people around them. I think one of the one of the blockages, um, Jackie, is that they they will value what they see as having utility if it's if it's um will expedite some process if it will get me a better promotion if it will lead to a better salary you know being viewed you know my status or whatever if it has utility then they will suddenly focus on that particular soft skills training and it's a shame in a way. And it does remind me. I was on a walk yesterday listening to Radio Four. It was the four. It was the Digital Human series. It's four thirty on on Radio Four in the week, um, and they were talking about this this controversy at the moment. Well, it's been around for a while of students buying essays that are pre done, um, you know, or getting other people to do you know the studies for them, so that they actually get then get the certificate. They get the qualification. So the utility for them is I've got to get that qualification to get the job, to get the promotion and so forth. And they're not really interested in the process of self-development and learning stuff. Yeah, that that doesn't really that's not the driver. The driver is to get the certificate is to get the qualification. Um, yeah. So even even though we're not necessarily talking in business about a a, a an educational qualification this idea of does it have utility i think is a blockage for people seeing value in some of the stuff that you and i do yeah we're not ending here just taking a quick break to remind you that you are listening to power to speak the podcast with my guest andrew thorpe and there will be more wise words from andrew after we hear from our friend fellow podcaster and teller of tantalizing tales from the storytelling with puck podcast stefano capicchione the story I'll, I'll read for you the ones with three little girls this is a dream that i think really shows how we view transformation dreams emotions empathy connection Stories. Storytelling with Puck. Find your next tantalizing tale on your favorite podcast platform or at puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with Puck podcast. Um, have you found, though, do you think that um, lockdown has made people think differently in that way? That maybe um, people working from home, people valuing relationships more, valuing 
work colleagues and you know that that whole kind of going to the office and being part of a community do you think mm. that's changed people's attitudes to what we do I, I think I think it's in some ways it's humanized a lot of otherwise rather cold transactional relationships because we actually see into people's homes we see the you know we hear the Amazon delivery person arrive we hear a you know, a daughter coming home from university, a cat walking along the, the screen, whatever it happens to be. So we, we can see that this is a real human being, you know, trying to, to, to do their best in a home working situation. So I think that's been helpful. Yeah. I think that we have cut out a lot of travel time and some would consider it lost time to be able to have more conversations on a screen. So I think more conversations is good. But loss of in-between time, I think, is also problematic because the in-between time is not without value because you have time to decompress, to, to reflect on what you've just been talking about with somebody, to move from one environment and reset mentally for the next environment that you're going to be in. And then for me, there's all those incidental interactions with people that you're sitting next to on a bus or a train or a plane that that creates material and, and richness yeah. in life yeah so it's been a mixed bag for me and I, I think for others as well they recognize the shortcomings in in the digital home working arrangement yeah yeah do you, have you have you been part of any of this sort of hybrid presenting now I, I mean I hadn't even really considered the, the the lack of content by just not leaving our house actually uh, <laughs> is, is a big one isn't it really that you're not having those interactions well I think you're narrowing your range of experiences I think you're having lots of varied conversations with people of of, of varied backgrounds so that there's the variety but yeah. it's limited because it's all on a screen in our living room or wherever yeah and therefore that's a less rich tapestry of experience than than we used to have yes i have been part of a, a networking community down here on the south coast that i used to go to in person before obviously the the pandemic once lockdown hit it kind of went online and it was a bit of a lifeline to be honest just to see people on a screen every i think there was i think it was every week in the beginning mm. whereas we only used to meet once a month and since we've been allowed out, <laughs> I think it was the, the beginning of July, uh, Mark Masters, who organises the events, got back into a theatre space and worked out how to put the Zoom community on a screen, right. but still have us locals okay. attend in person. Yeah. And uh, obviously it was the first one was a, a little bit glitchy but you know we were all part of that community we were just glad to be out of the house and doing something different mm. um, but the presenter there was a, a guy doing a talk then and I was just fascinated to how he was dealing with that with the fact that he yes. had a huge wall of faces behind him on a yeah. cinema screen and yet he also had us as an audience to perform to Mm. Um, and he he did find it very difficult. It, yes. It's been um, been tweaked so that because it's like who do you who do you speak to? Who's yes. most important? You know, is it the people on the screen that are attending from home, or is it the people that are in? I, I've not done this. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I, I would find it difficult to split focus. You know, who am I being attentive to? Who am I focusing on? You know, the physical yeah. presence or the, the people on the screen? Because yeah. I, I, I typically would get involved with the people who are there because I can sense their presence. And yeah. then I might suddenly realise, oh, my God, I've forgotten all about this. There's 100 people on the screen. I better talk to them for a minute. So yeah, yeah. I, I would find that quite tricky. Yes. I've, I spoke to the speaker again this week. We had a, an, another meeting, uh, John Burkhart, who was doing um, a talk for us again um and he said right well this this time I'm just going to concentrate on the people in the auditorium and let the people with the tech pan you know not panda but you know deal with the people on the screen so in mm. other words they were there with the cameras so as long as they caught everything he was doing yeah. then you know it works that way but they're almost like the voyeurs there as yes. opposed to the people the, the actual audience with yeah. whom you're having yeah. the interaction yeah so it meant that he just had to, he just had that one focus. Mm. But I, it will, you know, this innovation that's come out of the pandemic, you know, pandemic is 
going to live with us forever we can't you know we can't now put that back in the box yes I mean certainly and I don't know how it's been for you and we'll come on to to um to the the group that you've been working with mm -hmm. um but I said to Mark is it has he made a rod for his own back because in lockdown on the zoom call it went global so you know there were people speakers from from the states people coming in from the states and you can't kind of cut those off when you go back into a room you can't mm. say well you know sorry you can't come anymore because you're not able to get to us yeah so somehow you've got to include those people too mm. um and that's how the hybrid event has kind yeah. of yeah, yeah, that's, that's happened. But you, so you know, you mentioned before, uh, well, I mentioned before that I was speaking the, the first physical gig I'm doing next week in, in yeah. northeast of England. And one of the things that struck me there is that I've now got to unlearn some of the things that I've got used to doing in the last 18 months of maybe asking people a question and getting them to type an answer in the chat function, let's say on Zoom. And now if I ask the whole live audience a question, then, you know, they've all got to think, well, hang on a minute, if I put my hand up and say something, all these other people might think I'm stupid. So I know I'll, I'll just put, keep my hand down. Yeah. You've almost got to switch back to what you used to do and relearn, you know, yeah. how to, uh, you know, adapt to a live audience now. Yes. Yeah. And, and yes, everybody's gotten so used as well. You know, so many people now are doing the live videos where they, they mm -hmm. you know they go out on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever and and they can interact like yes. that and as you say it's quite I mean I know certainly from from online um, networks that I've been to the conversations will go on in the chat that have nothing to do with <laughs> with what's going on yeah. on the screen yeah and actually yeah. it's quite anonymous I also find breakout rooms to be quite intimate which you know at, at these sort of bigger conferences and networking there's so many distractions whereas mm -hmm. On Zoom in a breakout room, you can get to know somebody quite well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, with tell me a little bit more about um, is it in in crowd? The in crowd, yes. In yeah. crowd, yes. So it's a, a new initiative that you that you. It's up. an idea. It's an idea that um, Paula Eddie and I came up with. Paula is a friend of mine. She's a leadership coach who who moved from the corporate world for, for many many years in the corporate world to set up on her own as a leadership leadership coach. And in stands for influence. Ah. So it's really an exploration of how you and I and others build up a voice and an influence in our sector whereby people want to hear what we have to say um, and how you go about doing that or how have you gone about doing that. So this is an example, podcasting. Uh, there's lots of other P's in our list of strategies like public speaking, publications, uh, Paula talks a lot about purpose as well being a very important part of of building that that name and that brand. Um, so really, it's it's a, it, the idea is to bring together people who are at various stages of developing their name and their influence. Some are starting out, some are well down the line. So the ones who are well down the line can teach the ones who are starting out quite a few tricks about how they've done it. Um, and equally, the ones who are who are beginning can can feed off them and squeeze some nuggets out of those people. Um, and Paula and I are there to host and to facilitate that discussion. So the idea is that every time we hold an event, and at the moment these are all virtual events, um, we will focus on one particular theme of a list of say ten, you know, types of strategies. Um, and then, you know, generate some discussion around that theme. Uh, but then the conversation will spread around other areas of, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've tried this, I'm struggling with that a little bit. So it's it's a self-help discussion-based group around the building of influence. Uh -huh. Excellent. Talking of podcasts, obviously you have a you have a podcast too. Yeah. How, how do you, and, and I know from, because we, we've, uh, we've sort of met by putting adverts of, of each other's podcasts into yes. our own, um, which has been great and fun to do. But we are all in the business of persuasion. I really, I know that from from the advert that I hear <laughs> um, quite you know, every, you know, at least once a month, if not fortnightly. So tell us a little bit about the podcast and how that sort of we're all in the business of, of persuade or we're all in the persuasion business. How, how mm. does that, that come up? Well, the, the, the name of the podcast, I actually... Um, well, I didn't pinch it, but I heard someone use this phrase and he's in a not not dissimilar field to you and I. He's in you know, communication skills training. 
And he used this phrase that, you know, he wants people to say things that are interesting. So people lean forward. And I thought, oh, that's a good name for a podcast. <laughs> so, so it's inspired by what that gentleman said. So it's called Leaning Forward. Um, and it's really about the art of persuasive communication, relationship building, uh, soft influencing skills. Um, and it's a mixture of interviews. And I, I, I interviewed you recently and, and I, I'm actually editing your interview today, Brilliant. which doesn't mean cutting lots of stuff out because I don't think I actually need to cut much stuff out. But yours, yours is up quite soon for publication. I've done about 20, 24 episodes, 25 so far. So it's a mixture of interviews with interesting people such as yourself who are involved in some kind of communication field um, and little tutorial episodes. Uh, so the, the ones that are tutorials, I just record a shorter one. It may be 12, you know, 15 minutes or so about things like using humor and why stories work in, in an anecdotal sense and how to sell without it feeling like selling. Um, so the, these are areas which I am passionate about. I love talking about them, but it's nice, you know, to get other people to give their input through the interview format, too. Yeah. And so is this something that you ever envisaged yourself doing when you were when you were little? What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, do you know, Jackie, it's funny because I, I always trace my interest in public speaking and storytelling to Parkinson. Ah. So Michael Parkinson, for the younger viewers, was the, the Graham Norton of his day. He was a great interviewer, a different style of interviewing. Um, but I used to watch his show on a Saturday evening. I think it was after Match of the Day on a Saturday night. And I, I wanted to be the guest, the Peter Ustinoff or the whoever, who was a great raconteur, a great storyteller. Billy Connolly, he was very funny and one of, one of Michael Parkinson's favourite guests. I wanted to be that person. But over the years, I've actually come to value Parkinson's skill as an interviewer. So... In a way, I really like podcast interviews now, whether I'm being a guest as I am with you or whether I'm on the other side of the coin, because I think it feeds in with my interest in questioning, getting the story out of the other person. Um, and I think the art of being an interviewer is very underrated. And if you look at someone like Graham Norton, he, he, he actually makes the guests look better because he will quip and pick up on something and add a little bit to something that they've said that was marginally funny. And he makes it funnier without somehow taking away, you know, the gloss yeah. or the luster of the guest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I absolutely have come from, from the same background, I suppose, in, in that way. I used to love Michael Parkinson. I mean, that was just a highlight. Even now I will go and find interviews. Uh, because I loved his style. It was very, as you say, he was just interested. That mm. sort of curiosity he had in in what made people tick and why they were who they were. Mm. And again, you know, Graham Norton is completely different, but it is about making the guest look mm. as good as they possibly can. Yeah. So, Getting yeah. the best out of the guest. And you yeah. look at someone like Robert De Niro can't really be bothered anymore. He just sort of sits there and smiles and does, you know, does his Bob De Niro thing. But there are other guests who are dreamlike guests. I mean, em Emily Blunt's always good. She's very, very good on, on the show. And, and, and obviously, uh, Tom Hanks is always a winner. Yes. So I, I'm, just, I'm fascinated by the interview format and shows. I watch interviews endlessly. But you pick up a lot of really good tips, I think, from, from both sides, from the guest and from the interviewer. Yeah, yeah. That just it made me think of uh, you talking about Sir Robin uh, and, you know, the, those kind of celebrity talks, which you get on cruise ships. And, you know, the, the celebrities do these sort of turns on cruise ships, basically because they get it. They get a free cruise. Um, and I do wonder how well, I suppose it really is just telling stories, isn't it? It's just being a, a raconteur, as you say, that, you know, mm -hmm. the, Denoffs, the Billy Connollys are these people that know how to tell a story. Mm. Yeah. They do. And, and and the episode that I did in, in Leaning Forward on humour, I mean, there's always this phrase that it's a very bad idea to try and analyse comedy or humour. But it strikes me that one of the one of the things that that is always funny is where there is a contrast between the way things should be and the way they are. That yeah. there's always comedy in that. 
so the person should react in that way they should be wearing these sorts of clothes they should have this kind of expression on the face when this was said to them but they mishear it and they think it was something else and therein lies the humor yeah and i think wherever you can find a difference a contrast like that there is always the potential to to make people smile when you're when you're recounting that scene yes yeah. And and it is that and again this comes back to acting and and you know when I'm when I'm going through um training with actors is is just tell the truth just be honest and you would be amazed how much humor there is just in the everyday. You don't have yeah. to try to be funny. Just tell that story the way it happened. Mm. If it made you laugh and you know there's enough it's interesting enough for you to want to retell it then just yeah. tell it as it is. Don't you know it doesn't need to, bells and whistles and all that it, it, it doesn't and it's little everyday things I, I i heard a speaker the other day refer to the fact that his grandmother had discovered texting um and she would regularly use the expression wtf in her text. <laughs> and he said we well, can't say that grandma you mustn't say things like she said why it just means well that's fantastic yeah you know, because she was proud of her grandson so <laughs> so that, that you're absolutely right it is it is a, an exploration of the basic truth of life and the human condition where, where the the the, uh, the nuggets lie where all the you know the, the richness is yes well before we end here i just I, i'd like you to tell us a fun, funny story so tell us about when you appeared on a tv quiz back in the 80s what oh, was that yeah. and how well that I'll, I'll have to give you the slightly shorter version of this i used to work for the professional golfers association they're based at the belfry in the midlands and i was a referee um, and I was very fortunate to referee in the Ryder Cup one year. Um, and there was a show in the old days called Busman's Holiday. I don't know whether you remember it. It was where three people represented a profession and competed against two other teams of three in their profession. So you had to answer questions on the other profession and on your own and then a bit of general knowledge as well. So we, we were we were referees. And our specialist subject was the rules of golf, because that's that's what we were meant to know. And we were up against a team of herbalists and a team of debt collectors from British Gas. <laughs> and this was all filmed at Granada Studios in Manchester. And you, you were meant to bring an object to the show on the stage when you came along that was connected with your work. So I think the I think the get the debt collectors brought a, a nasty letter. Um, I think the herbalist brought maybe a sprig of parsley or something. I don't know. Uh, and we brought on the Ryder Cup. So we were we puffed out our chests. We, we were all university graduates. We thought we were smart people. And we thought, well, well you know, we're ahead already bringing our our uh, our prop on. And it was an absolute unmitigated disaster, Jackie, because we, we got the lowest score I think ever recorded in 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 quiz show history. Um, because we just blurted out the wrong answer. We were too quick. We didn't do our research on the other teams. Um, we were very the very definition of complacency. And all I can remember beforehand is that the, the person guiding us just said, look, if, if you don't know the answer, don't worry, just, just smile, just look happy. So I had this inane grin on my face all the way through, despite the fact that I was really bombing. Um, and it turned out that the questions were... Um, compiled by a great rival of ours in terms of golfing organizations so they they created the the stinkiest questions imaginable uh, to, to trip us up and boy did we trip up and the next day the other two on my team had to go back to the office and face the music um, and I actually had to fly to America to, to run a tournament in in the US uh, I don't know which was worst have, having an eight-hour journey to think about what had just happened or go back to the office. Oh, so what's the lesson in there? Be prepared. Be prepared, don't be complacent and and be very very wary of going on a quiz show when you're answering <laughs> questions about your own profession. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and how did you manage to upset a, a a TV dragon? Um no, it wasn't an upset, it was a misunderstanding. When when yeah. my then business partner and I started our business, it's called it's called Mojo Life, as in finding your mojo. That that's what we originally had the idea for. I mean, it's evolved a lot since then. It's just a, my company name is still called that, but the work doesn't represent that angle anymore. 
But um, Peter Jones came into an exhibition at Olympia that we were um, exhibiting at. Uh, and obviously we wanted to sort of pitch our new business idea to Peter Jones. You would do, wouldn't you, if you were excited yeah. about it? And my um, business partner explained, you know, her version of the story, her little elevator pitch. And he turned to me and he said, um, he said, so your business shrinks. And I must have given a look on my face of horror because dragons are known for spotting the floor in a business idea that you don't see. And I thought, oh, my God, he's thought of something that the, the, the business is going to get smaller. It's going to be a disaster. I thought we were going to grow. And, and, it, and he said, no, 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 no. I mean, your business psychologists. <laughs> did, did you know I was going to say that, Jackie? So yeah, why you, yeah, yeah. When you said, RE? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I got it. But, but I think that's, you know, sometimes that's the way your brain works. If you think uh, somebody's going to say something detrimental, that's what mm. you hear. So maybe, maybe I was afraid that he would find that flaw in the concept yeah, and, uh, yeah. and would say it's going to be a disaster. You pack it in now, Andrew, kind of thing. Yeah. So. yeah. Oh. Anyway, we, we got on very well after that, after that misunderstanding was cleared up. Excellent. Did he invest? No. <laughs> he said, I'm out. I'm out. And he left the room. <laughs> oh. So what's what's coming up for you, apart from obviously talking in person to a, a real audience uh, what's happening for you and the podcast and the in crowd okay well in crowd comes next on the 16th of november it's 5 30 till 7 um in the evening uk time so uh, I, i'll i'll promote that and so will paula via via social media and linkedin um i've got my 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 durham gig with a live flesh and blood audience next thursday uh, which I'm looking forward to. And then there is a chance, I think I might be going to Sweden and Finland in November with a client that I've done some work for before. Um, so they're just mulling over whether or not it's going to be, you know, online or face-to-face. -face. So I, I actually haven't travelled anywhere since March last year with yeah. work. So that's 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 going to be different. Excellent, excellent. Well, I've got some work. work so where can people... Let me show you, I've got at the bottom here, this is the podcast. I've also, if I can find it, for those of you that are watching, you can see this. For those of you on audio, you will have to tune into the YouTube channel to see this. But this is this is the podcast, so leaning forward. So uh, that's the place to go if you'd like to listen to Andrew's podcast. It's leaning yes. forward, and that's on, on most uh, of the platforms, isn't it? It is. I mean, if you if you just type it into Spotify or um, Apple Podcasts, it will come up. And if you type it into Google with my name next to it, it will come up as well. But uh, yeah, I'd love people to listen to it and, and give you some feedback. Excellent. And where else can people contact contact you? Well, I'm a regular user of LinkedIn, so they can find me on LinkedIn. I don't have an E on my surname. I've been cursed for 50 odd years now with no E on Thorpe. And oh, most of do have an E. Uh, but I don't. So that, that's my LinkedIn uh, profile. Excellent. And the website? It's just andrewthorpe.co.uk. There you go. I don't know if people can see that. I put I put the website on my, my board here. So andrewthorpe.co.uk. <laughs> oh, well, it's been fantastic talking to you, Andrew. I mean, it's so, so nice to talk to somebody that uh, that does what I do and, you know, probably better than me so no not, not at all we, we cross over I think we complement each other very very well Jackie I, I really love the work you do and I'm so fascinated by the world of acting that you uh, are steeped in so uh, I'm, I'm quite envious of all your experience that you've got oh well thank you I yeah I wish I could say the same about golf <laughs> but yes so your brother your brother is a golfer isn't he you, you were saying yeah so well he's retired now David's 10 years older than me so he's retired but he he was my hero when I grew up because uh, yeah. I, I caddied for him in all in lots of very big tournaments like the Open Golf Championship four times I think we played it and it's we when you're a caddy and a player it's always a we relationship brilliant brilliant and do you still play golf now occasionally yeah my, my current passion's table tennis oh um, because my, my partner has a table tennis table in her barn um, and my eyes lit up when I first saw it so we we play a lot of table tennis now Brilliant. Oh, well, I will let you go off and and play table tennis to your heart's content. But thank you so much for being on my podcast, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jackie. Likewise. All the best You're to you. Welcome.
Many thanks to Andrew for joining me to share his journey. Lots of wise words and useful info in there. I particularly liked discussing how in order to be interesting, you need to be interested. And the phrase Andrew used, do you listen with the intent to understand or do you listen with the intent to reply? We all want to be heard, but it's a two-way street. It's important to really listen to and be curious about your fellow humans. And use stories to convey your message. They connect with people on an emotional level. I think it was Maya Angelou who said, people won't always remember what you say, but they will remember how you made them feel. What were your takeaways from our conversation? Connect with me on LinkedIn or contact me through the website powertospeak.co.uk and let me know. And remember, check out some tantalising tales and magical moments from Storytelling with Puck. Find them where you find your favourite podcasts or head over to puckcreations.com forward slash Storytelling with Puck podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, then please leave a five-star review on whichever platform you're on. And if you'd like to receive information about future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak coaching, then sign up for our fortnightly newsletter at powertospeak.co.uk. Bye for now.